0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the School of Hiring podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have as my guest, the negotiatress, Yasmin Geram. Yasmin, I've been looking forward to speaking with you for a good few weeks now. This is uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on, especially that what you do is so important and and so insightful. To start us off, I'm going to hand over to you to let you introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Constantine. Thanks for having me on this podcast today. I really think it's a very important subject to be speaking about, generally hiring, since I see it as the backbone of every good company to have good people working in it. And it's a subject that's so often overlooked. And what I do, if I can just introduce myself, is I founded Negotiators just over two years ago. It's an initiative to coach women in negotiating better and more for themselves. But also, not just that, I'm trying to introduce a new kind of discourse into negotiation, which to this day is a very, very male-dominated subject, a very male-dominated field. And I think there's a lot that women can do to contribute to this field, more than they're doing right now. So I came into this field of negotiation after several years in different fields. In general, I was always interested in conflict resolution, conflict management. So I'm a certified mediator. I have a degree in conflict resolution. For about a decade now, I've been working in the private sector, in NGOs, in the political sector. And everywhere I went, I kind of thought, okay, it's just here that there is a problem. That women are earning less, that they're not as visible in the workplace. All kinds of problems that I felt were coming up. And it took time to realize that they were coming up in all sectors. So private sector, NGOs, political sector, government, a lot of the problems that women were experiencing were very much the same, which is actually what led me to founding negotiators.
0: It's super interesting. My first question to you is, do men and women negotiate differently?
1: Yes, absolutely. I try to avoid too wide a generalization about what it is that men do or women do as a whole group. But definitely in my experience, it's not only that we negotiate differently and we bring different tools to the table, we also view negotiation very differently. My experience is that women oftentimes either avoid negotiation or feel kind of uneasy around it. And which leads to, it's very often spoken about that women don't get as much because women don't ask. And that's actually only a very partial picture of the situation because I think women avoid asking because they're often treated in a different way. And they often have to negotiate in environments that are not necessarily suited to their needs. So the whole discourse, the whole context of negotiation is very different for women oftentimes than it is for men. And that's what I'm about. I'm about trying to find a way for them to be comfortable negotiating, so not feeling like they have to copy people or imitate other people to become good negotiators or negotiatrices. And it's about understanding what context can allow them to bring themselves in the best way possible, which at the moment I think is a very, very big challenge in more than one industry.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that I've noticed, and this is from years of interviewing and working with hiring managers who are interviewing, it is very much the male perspective when it comes to negotiating a salary or negotiating a employment deal, so to speak. Why don't we look at it from the female perspective? What does it look like being in that room from the female perspective?
1: So, of course, the experiences are very varied and I try not to speak for all women at once in all situations. But I think the main point is that when you enter an interview or you enter a workplace and you feel like it's a place for you, you're going to bloom in it. If you enter an interview and you see that there is a woman interviewing you, you see that there are women managers in the company. You see that the discussion doesn't only go around what we see as classical benefits, like what will my title be and what will my, you know, will I get the corner office? Will I get a high salary? But it's a wider discourse of how do we allow for a work life balance? How do we treat parents, men and women? You know, like what boundaries do we set in this company? How do we allow women to develop? So, again, if we see women in management or not, it makes a difference. We're far away from those days where a woman walked into an interview and asked Where's, where are the women's bathrooms and no one knew to answer because there were not enough women in the company. I think still metaphorically, we're very much in a place where workspaces haven't absolutely understood the needs of women in the workplace. And that comes forward in an interview. And you know, as humans, not only women, as humans, when we walk into a place, we know from the context, is this place for me or not? Do I belong?
0: It's a wonderful way of putting it. Now, from the perspective of obviously a bearded white male, which I am, and many of our listeners are also going to be, obviously we do have a diverse group of listeners, but the majority is going to be white men. What would your recommendation be? What would your suggestion be to help us understand what women are going through when they step into that interview room, when they step into that conversation?
1: So to begin with, I appreciate the way you're phrasing it, because I think it's very easy at the moment, and like you're calling it a bearded white man to feel attacked by current discourse, like whatever you do is wrong just because you exist as a bearded white man. At least I don't subscribe to that. I don't think it should be a war. And it shouldn't be about, you know, I don't expect men to be mind readers. I think there's a very important thing of allyship. So I think there are a lot of men out there who are looking to be allies to women and to allow for workspace equality, not only gender equality, but general diversity. And my most important tip would be be open to listening. So you don't have to be a mind reader, but be open to listening. Be open to having women in the process. So you can say that you have the best will to integrate women into your company. But if that's the case, put a woman in the room when you're interviewing and not just like a token woman to say, here, we have gender equality. Show your candidates that you're looking to understand their world. And it actually doesn't matter if you do, you know, lots of advertising and you say you have gender equality goals. It really won't matter if you don't show an action that you're there and you're willing to hear and you're willing to support and promote. So I'll give you just a small example of some things that women that I work with encounter in the workplace. So first of all, I've had women tell me that they go into an interview only with men, of course, who say they're absolutely into gender equality. And when they look at the number of women who've actually been promoted in the past few years into management positions, there's close to none. So you can talk all you want, but you need to be showing it in actions. Or I can tell you of a woman who... I worked with who experienced sexual harassment in the workplace and all the men she was speaking to about how she should handle it were very much i mean they were trying to show solidarity I sh- i'm sure they really cared and felt bad but then what they did was they made a committee of three men to discuss what should happen with the sexual harassment not even including the woman herself and i'm i'm sure there wasn't any bad intent but i think it's very hard As a man to understand the full female experience, as it is for me as a woman, I don't, you know, I don't presume to understand the full male experience. And if I want to understand it, and this is true for any conflict, but specifically here, if I want to understand someone else's experience, I need to be listening. I need to be creating space. I need to be allowing them to feel like this space is for you. You're welcome here. We want to try and think with you. We don't want to think to you. We want to think with you how we can make this a place that's attractive for you.
0: This is super interesting. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that immediately popped to my mind is obviously hiring is not only about the interview. Right? The interview is a small proportion. We do put a little bit too much weight on it, but that's for another discussion. But you brought up the topic of bringing the the female perspective into this. And I, I think that bringing the female perspective or diversity perspective in general into the hiring process needs to happen much, much earlier. And we all know that there's companies out there that say, you know, we're into diversity and inclusion and we are going to implement the Rooney Rule or whatever it may be in order to promote more diversity within the business. However, no one actually ever sits down or rarely sits down to ask the question, right, how are we going to create a hiring experience for candidates that will promote diversity and inclusion. Are we hiring for that token female leader in the company, or are we serious about looking at diversity and inclusion across the entire organization? So aside from just the interview, I think it's how we design the job, how we define what are the needs and wants for this position, how we devise the reporting structures for the position how we draft communication for a position. And communication can be as basic as a job description, for example, but it can also be what is the communication in terms of emails, in terms of interview scheduling? Do we have an all-male panel or do we have a diverse panel of interviewers throughout the entire process? Is the candidate presented with enough opportunity to actually experience the diversity within the organization across the entire hiring process? I don't feel that this conversation happens enough. What's your perspective on that?
1: Absolutely, I agree. I think it's definitely not only about an interview, and it's about your whole experience in the workplace. Let's say even if you've accepted women into the workplace, it's also about their experience once they are accepted. I'll tell you a little story about a recruiter that I recently interviewed and I was speaking to about their processes and how to keep women in the company. And he was speaking to me about a case of a woman who was actually in quite a senior position. So the problem here was retention because what happened was this woman left the company for a different company, not even for a higher salary. And when they tried to figure out with her what had happened, because she was very appreciated in the company, she said she just never got the feeling that her work was valued. That raises big questions on how does it happen that a woman who's been working for so long in that company and who was actually valued and where the company had strategic interest in retention of that talent, lost out on some wonder. It's not even she didn't drop out because she was a mother. She didn't drop out because of, you know, there's all kinds of classic obstacles that women face that we see them dropping out when they reach senior ranks or positions. There was something in the structure of that company, in the way that woman was treated, that pushed her out of the company. And this is, you know, it's a lose-lose situation. Absolutely. So I definitely agree that we have to have a more holistic look at company culture, at the message we're sending, at the compensation that we're giving, monetary and non-monetary. As you're saying, when you're having more women in the panel, when you have more women in different departments who can look at the process and say, wait a second, this is how women experience this. Uh, this is what they need to understand that they're appreciated. This is what they, they need to feel like they belong in this company. You get some really, really good insights on what you can do to improve not only hiring, but the whole, the whole company culture.
0: Absolutely. And I also think that there is a disparity with how companies and how managers understand appreciation. Appreciation is very individual. And this is not based on sex. It's just very individual. In the case of this person that you were speaking of, she felt that she was not appreciated within the organization, but yet the organization felt very appreciative of her work and appreciated this person's work. It's just how it was communicated was ineffective. Do you see more of this happening? Is this something that you see along the lines of male-female divides, or do you see it more along the lines of everyone sees appreciation in a very different
1: light? I would say both. In a typical <laughs> female response, I, I think you know it, it does have a lot to do with the, this battle of the sexes. This men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and I see it come up all the time, also in relationships and partnerships. If I had to stereotypically typify it, it feels like men often want to be talking about doing and acting and reacting and leading and like saying the right thing and doing the right thing, and they can't understand how them being so super proactive doesn't lead to the result. There needs to be an outcome that is the direct result of what they did. And sometimes we, we the women, don't need you to do, we need you to listen. That's the creating space part. And I can see, you know, with my husband, we've been working on this for years, I see that it's a challenge in relationship between the sexes. Don't do. Listen. Give me the space to tell you what I need. When I say creating space, that's what I mean by creating space. And that's why I'm saying it's not about mind reading. It's the same in negotiations. Like oftentimes I see men going into negotiation and they think negotiating well has to be being super decisive, saying all the right things. And it's a very kind of strategic, tactic led negotiation. But actually the best negotiators are the ones who are able to stop and listen to their counterpart and understand what they need in order to give them what they need. I believe very much in negotiation that that's the solution to effective negotiation and that's a solution for conflict and definitely in this battle between the sexes, which I'd like to not see as a battle at all, but an opportunity for, for great cooperations. A good hiring manager, a good interviewer, a good boss should be willing to listen, willing to understand that they have to give and that they need to listen to know what to give if they want to get something in return, whether it's good talent, whether it's you know, talent retention, whether it's productivity from their workers. I really think that's the key.
0: That's absolutely brilliant. I was smiling there in the background, thinking of all the examples of me falling into that typical male do, action, results, mindset, and having to stop myself and go, whoa, whoa hold, hold on. Hold on, there's a different perspective. And it also reminded me about advice that I received when I was actually learning to negotiate. And the advice was that silence also says a lot. And I think that that is something that we can all learn in negotiation is to create that space to invite the conversation, invite that perspective, invite the other side's opinion and actually listen and then start to engage with it if necessary. Super interesting. Another topic I wanted to cover with you, and we touched on this in in our previous conversations, Now, obviously, a long part of my career has been hiring and hiring at, at an executive level. And very often, we have this conversation with companies where they come to us and say, we would like to hire a female executive into our team, we would like to have more diversity in the team. And I actually have an issue with this. Now, before I get crucified for saying this, my issue with this is that as a company, I understand that you want to create more diversity. However, going to the market and looking to hire someone from another company who is also, by the way, probably looking to increase their own diversity. And bringing that person over to your business does not actually increase diversity. It just moves one person from one organization to another organization. But the status quo of how many female executives there are remains the same. My perspective on this is that if you are serious about diversity as an organization, you need to start looking at how to train, educate, promote your female staff into higher positions. And sure, this may mean that at some point they will leave your organization to pursue a career with another organization as a successful executive. But your work needs to be focusing not so much on just the diversity within your organization. If you're serious about diversity, you need to promote it on a global scale. What's your take on this? Am I completely off or?
1: No, actually, I think that But you're bringing up a good point. I think if you're serious about creating change. So I am a believer in, let's say, in what's called affirmative action in the U.S. So I can see why it can be seen as a form of discrimination to say uh, we're looking for a woman to fill a a position X. I, I don't think it's actually discrimination. I think it's looking to take affirmative action on something. So wanting to promote a cause. There is a big hole in that theory, which is, like you're saying, if you're just shifting women from one company to the other, that's not change. That's not creating uh, gender equality. And I think in order to create the change that we want, if we're serious about diversity and we're serious about promoting female talent as equals to men, it does have to be bigger than just recruiting more women. So some of the options that you mentioned I find very interesting. I think companies should look into training. So if we're looking in tech and there's this problem that maybe not enough women at the moment are studying the subjects that are relevant for tech or generally STEM subjects are still a very weak point in terms of how many women go and study them. But you know, most of most things in tech that you do, you don't actually have to have a university degree to do. You need some very focused professional training that would allow you to develop in that field. So companies that are serious about recruiting more women and creating more opportunities for women could offer training programs that allow these women to integrate into the workspace without having to reconsider now what degree they should have taken 10 years ago when they decided to go for the social sciences for different reasons. Uh, And I think also within companies, it's very important to make sure that you're allowing for the right opportunity for women inside your company to develop themselves. And it's about making, you know what, I would say it's about creating a mindset of abundance Rather than scarcity, because could you imagine a situation where someone says, I have this male employee and I don't want to develop them because I don't want anyone to take them away from me. If you have five women executives for every hundred male executives, then you have that problem. But if you create a mindset of abundance of we're training everyone because we want to have the best employees and we're going to create the environment that attracts the best employees, whether they're male or female. You don't have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to train her and then she's going to move to another company because they want their token executive to be a woman.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this brings a smile to my face. One of the things that I'm extremely proud of in my business is the fact that I hired the best people for the job. And it so happened that in my case, two thirds of them are women. But I wasn't hiring for diversity. I was hiring for the best person for the job. And it just happened to work out this way. And I think that this is a very small example of it. But it is about creating the opportunity for training and development across the entire organization, not looking at it from the perspective of, you know, this person is going to leave the organization if I train them and go be the token female executive in another company. It's not about that because, first of all, I do think that the women working With me are very much aware and very conscious of this and if they saw that an organization is looking to hire them as the token candidate to them that would immediately be a red flag so definitely not a concern but i do think that there is a lot more room to learn to develop and to invest in recognizing that in order for us to thrive as business organizations As people, we need to listen to the other side and have the other side's perspective. My businesses are much better off for having a diversity approach, for having a diverse perspective on issues. I am not always right. And I want to surround myself with people that will provide me with alternative views and that will provide me with a perspective that I, from my white bearded male angle, simply don't see. And it's so interesting to see how many companies continue to miss out on that opportunity because it is an opportunity.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think of all, well, it's a sign of great leadership to be able to say that, to understand that the best way to get the best results, it's not only the ethical way, it is actually the best way to show leadership is to hear other opinions and understand that you can't have all the perspectives. You need other people to show you their perspectives. I do believe that if a company has its heart in the right place and it's really trying to integrate more diversity into the company and it tries hard enough, it's going to do a good job, even if it hasn't done it perfectly. And I've seen really crazy quirks. Like recently, I've spoken to someone who happens to be a white male and he applied. God forbid he's also heterosexual. He applied to a job and one of the questions in the job application was, what is your sexual preference in terms of, you know, are you gay? Are you bi? And to me, this was absurd because absolutely just as I can see okay you're trying to do something you're doing it in the worst way possible because if you if you had asked someone what is your sexual preference and they felt like there was a bias against them because they're bi or gay that would be as horrendous as someone not being accepted to a job because they're heterosexual so you see all kinds of weird quirks in this attempt to create equality and diversity but I think if a company is really sincere and really believes in diversity and in equality they're going to get there in the right way And I think maybe it's a very good example, the example you're giving, because if you've reached a company that already has two thirds women in it, and that is already diverse in action, the way you got there might have not been perfect. You might have made one or two mistakes in the recruiting. And
0: I think a few more than one or two.
1: And I think that's okay, because and this is what I try to teach women in negotiation as well. It's not about making one or two mistakes. That's fine. But if you have a goal and you believe in it and you're serving that goal, you're eventually going to succeed because that's what's required to succeed. You need to not only talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. And when you do both in the long run, you're going to achieve your goals. That's my tip for hiring recruiters and for negotiators.
0: Yasmin, thanks so much. This has been incredibly insightful and I've very much enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you very much for, for joining us on this podcast and hopefully see you next time.
1: Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on today.